we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me here tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Before Paul begins this discourse in chapter 13 on the subject of love, he is transitioning from chapter number 12 and dealing with difficulties uh, in the church and the fact that uh, as he has in the earlier chapters of this uh, epistle dealt with those difficulties. And he speaks to them now concerning what he says in chapter 12 and verse 31 is a more excellent way. The more excellent way to do ministry, the more excellent way for a church to function. And what is that more excellent way? Well, it is the way of love. And when we last looked at this passage, that's the subject that we looked at, the way of love. And we noted a few things as we looked at this subject of the way of love. We noted the problems of a church without charity. We noted that in uh, the opening three verses of this chapter, the problems of a church without charity. You can have doctrine, you can have gifts, uh, you can have all of these things that a church ought to have and yet not have the main ingredient, and the main ingredient is love. 
And so we looked at the problems of a church without charity. We noted in verse number one that a church without charity makes a sound with no substance. Well, there's a lot of noise, but nothing is being communicated. Nothing is hitting the target. We noted secondly that a church without charity has a vision with no value. In verse 2, he says, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Uh, these, these gifts that are mentioned here are, are gifts of understanding and wisdom and knowledge of the Word of God. We can have vision, knowledge, but to no avail if we do not have love. And then we notice in verse 3, he said, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So we noted in verse 3 that a church without charity is benevolent but with no benefit. Benevolent, giving, but with no benefit. So we understand the value of love. It is a valuable thing. Notice again in verse 13 of the 13th chapter, and now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Why is that? Because charity endures forever. There's coming a time when we will not have to live by faith, we'll live by sight. There's coming a time when we'll no longer have to hope because our hope has become a reality. But there will never be a time when we are not filled with the love of God. And so we saw last time the problems of a church without charity. I want us to notice this evening a list, about 15 things. We're not going to get through all 15 of them uh, this evening. So you can, you can breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, probably a two-parter here, all right? But I want us to notice tonight the practical characteristics of charity. The practical characteristics of charity. What does love look like? What does love look like? We say we love, but do we honestly love? And there's a test that we can take. There's a checkup that we can take here. A checkup of our hearts. Evaluate what we say that we love and whom we say that we love and see if what we possess is true charity. Well, we see it here in verses 4 through 7. As I mentioned, there are about 15 things on the list. We'll start with the first one. That's a good place to begin, isn't it? I will, I will hope you'll write this down. Number one, charity loves patiently. Charity loves patiently. Notice in verse 4, the Bible says, Charity suffereth long. This expression, suffereth long, here in relation to this word charity, this is dealing not with an endurance of our circumstances and trials, but this speaks of exercising patience with people, with one another. Someone famously said, the ministry would be easy if there weren't any people to deal with. But the ministry involves people, does it not? 
people of all types of personalities, people with a lot of ideas, different ideas, different viewpoints, approaching things at different angles. There are people who are uh, just always, it seems to be abounding with joy and happiness and positivity, and then there are others that are the exact opposite. There are Tiggers and there are Eeyores. And sometimes Tigger gets on our nerves, and sometimes we, we avoid Eeyore at all costs, right? We have a tendency to look at people through the wrong lens, and we need to see them through the eyes of God. And if we love the Lord and the love of Christ is shed abroad in our hearts, then we're going to love his people. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Now, if we could just love one another easily, there wouldn't be much of a challenge to it, would there? I mean, if we were all just altogether lovely people. By the way, there's only one who's altogether lovely. That's Jesus. The rest of us, I'm sorry to, to burst your bubble, we're not all together lovely. There are things about each of us that are unseemly and unattractive. And by the way, this love that's called charity is not a love that is dependent upon the attractiveness of the person that we love. And I, by, by, by that, I mean more than just their outward beauty. I'm talking about their personality and their likability. Some people are extremely likable, and it seems like they're very easy to love. And others, quite frankly, are not. They're more of a challenge. But the love of God passes through all the challenges and suffers long. And may God help us to suffer long, to not allow our patience to wear thin. Now, in the Greek culture, and we've learned a lot about it in our study of uh, this book of Corinthians, the Greek culture, the Greeks believed it was a virtue that if someone if someone offended you or hurt you or wronged you in any way, that it was a virtue if you struck back in retaliation against them. I mean, to let something go was unimaginable and unthinkable. It was considered a weakness to not retaliate against those who had wronged a person. But the love of God and the Word of God runs counter to the philosophies and thinking of this world. We're to suffer long. Now, I imagine if, if we thought about this very long and who it is that we have to suffer long with, you would probably have some names that would eventually come to mind. Some of you may already have those names. In fact, you may have a whole catalog of names in your mind right now. You ought to thank God for those people because God is using them to help you learn how to love. So number one, Charity loves patiently. Number two, charity loves kindly. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse four, charity suffereth long and is kind. Kindness is missing in our culture today, is it not? Courtesy, kindness, it's missing. What is kindness? Well, it is the absence of sharp and harsh speech. 
with the presence of a willingness to help or assist. To be kind, you and I must be sensitive to the needs of others. We must be selfless. We must not be considerate of our own time and agenda, but of the needs of others. This is kindness. It's more than just a kind word. It's a spirit and attitude that we have one toward another. Ephesians 4.32, the Bible says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Kindness will always lead us to forgive. You know, we're so quick to point out other people's sins and offenses. And, and, and we hold on to them for a long time. And we fail to recognize our own sinfulness and our own offenses. And we don't seem to hold on to them, but just for a moment. We excuse away our own sin. We hold grudges against others who have sinned against us. But if we are to be kind, we must be forgiving. We must be compassionate. Luke 6.35, Jesus said this, But love ye your enemies and do good. And lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind. God is kind. He is kind unto the unthankful. And to the evil. Have you ever tried to help somebody and really gone out of your way to help them? And they have failed to express their gratitude or appreciation. And then you respond, well, <laughs> I'm not going to help that person again. What is God doing? He's testing our love. You see, we're to have a love without limits. And the kind of love that humanity possesses independent of God has limits. But the love of God in us has no limits. We can be kind to those who are unthankful and to those who are evil. Because God is. Well, let me give you a third one tonight. Charity loves contently. Contently. Are you content? One of the main tools of the devil is to stir up discontentment. To say, look at what you have. It's not enough. Don't you wish you had more? Look at what so-and-so has. Well, why don't you have that? Contentment, content with where we are in life, content with what God has blessed us with, content with our family and those who are close near uh, to us, contentment. I think one of the chief tools the devil uses against men, and especially younger men, is discontentment. Discontentment. You know, we, we often hear this term when we think about jealousy, it's the green-eyed monster. Well, where does jealousy come from? It comes from a heart full of discontent. You see, the Bible says charity envieth not. It doesn't want what someone else possesses. And so this, this envy, this jealousy, this discontentment comes from a heart full of ingratitude. Because if we were grateful for what God has given us, 
then we would not be desirous of what we don't have. Now think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Every fruit in the garden was for them with the exception of one. I mean, you, you could have walked in that garden for a long, long time and not ran out a variety of fruit to eat. But which one did Satan cause Eve to focus on? The one she could not have. And when we are not grateful for what God has given to us, we will live a life of discontentment and envy. We will want what others have. This Corinthian church was filled with envy. If someone had a more prominent gift, a more public gift than another, what did they do? They desired to have that gift because they coveted, they wanted the spotlight. They wanted the acknowledgement. They wanted the credit. They wanted to be the prominent person. The only prominent person that we should have at Tabernacle Baptist Church is the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of us are sinners saved by the grace of God. No more, no less. Charity loves contently. Let me give you another one. Charity loves humbly. Charity loves humbly. Again, in verse 4, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Well, what does that mean? That's not a term we use much. Oh, can you see him? He's vaunting. Oh. Can you give me an explanation? Yes, I think I can. Essentially, he's bragging. Have you ever met a braggart? That's a very unattractive quality, isn't it? And if we love people, we're not going to be talking about us and our abilities and seeking credit and acknowledgement and recognition. You see, bragging is the other side of the coin from jealousy. Jealousy wants what others have. Bragging is an attempt to cause others to want what we have. Look at me. Look at how gifted I am. Don't you wish you were this gifted? Don't you wish you were this intelligent? Don't, don't you wish you were, and you're looking at me going, no, no, no. <laughs> you see, if we love people, we're not going to brag. Jealousy puts people down. Bragging builds us up. Jealousy says, you don't deserve that, I do. Bragging says, I have it because I deserve it. And the Corinth church was filled with spiritual braggarts looking to gain position and prestige in the church based on their gifts. And what did that cause for the church? Well, it caused chaos and it caused division. Let me give you a fifth one. Charity loves unassumingly. Well, that's a big fancy word to keep the L-Y's going, isn't it? Unassumingly. Look at what the Bible says here. Again, in uh, verse number four. In the last statement, charity is not puffed up. It's not puffed up. 
1 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse number 6, the Bible said, In these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to be, not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? You see, the Corinthian church was proud and arrogant group. They were divided by their loyalty and following of a particular minister, by their quest for the best gifts of the Spirit, and by their hunger for prestige and position. They were divided by camps. We've heard that expression before. Following. Now, remember this, the message this morning. Jesus said, I'm going to say the first word. Would you finish it? Follow. Follow who? Christ. What happened to the Corinthian church? They were following men. Men. Some said, I'm of Paul. Others said, I'm of Apollos. Well, you look in, in church movements across this country. Some people say, well, that's a particular of the independent Baptist churches. No, that's a particular of all churches. People follow certain leaders, and they think, well, that's my group. That's who I identify with. And, you know, we all have that in us. We're all clannish that way. We all have a group that we, uh, in, in our flesh, that causes us to want to belong to give us some sense of identity. Our identity needs to be found in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be thankful for the men that God has used to help us, but we are not followers of men. We're followers of Christ. When we become followers of men, then a sense of pride and arrogance begins to fill our hearts as if we're the right ones and they're the wrong ones. We've all faced this before. William Carey is known as the father of modern missions, and God greatly used him in India. He translated the scripture into 34 different dialects and languages. He was not widely accepted by the English elite because he had not studied at the best universities. One evening, a man at a formal gathering said to Carey in a voice that all present could hear, Mr. Carey, I heard that you are a shoemaker. Oh, no, said Carrie. I'm not a shoemaker. I'm a shoe mender. I don't make the shoes, I fix them. Though the man attempted to put Carrie down, Carrie stooped further down. Would to God we'd have that humility. Carrie could have got indignant and said, This guy's calling me a shoemaker. Well, doesn't he know what I've done? It doesn't matter what he knows. It only matters what God knows. And when that's what matters to us, we won't get puffed up if we're not recognized, if we're not patted on the back, if we're not acknowledged. Charity loves unassumingly. It's not about making myself known. It's not about my group and my identity. It is all about him. John the Baptist said it better than any of us. He must increase and I must decrease. But most of us have it backwards, don't we? Paul said in Romans 12, 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. We all do that, don't we? 
You see, if we love, if we have the charity, the love of God dwelling in our hearts, we'll have no problem with humility and with not being puffed up. Well, let me give you a, a sixth one. We're moving along in a pretty good clip. Charity loves courteously. Courteously. Let me explain that. Notice what he says here in uh, verse number five. Doth not behave itself unseemly. He's talking about charity. The idea here is that charity behaves itself in a mannerly fashion. It is the opposite of rudeness and crudeness. It is proper, fitting, courteous behavior which puts others above self. In recent months, I've had the opportunity to speak to a lot of people since we purchased the Sandy Ridge Square Shopping Center. I've had the privilege of talking to several attorneys and developers. And they're not all been kind. And some of them, I'm sorry to report, have been quite rude. There's no courtesy there. People who are used to getting their way, people who want you to know how important they are. And Christians shouldn't be that way. Pastors shouldn't be that way. People who are filled with love won't behave that way, unseemly. One particular man shared with me how he became a Christian. I was so encouraged by everything he had to say to me. And then the next conversation I had with him, he talked to me like a child. Not that I deserve any better. It was shocking. It was offensive. It bothered me. But it ought to bother him more. But then I think about this. Do I get so caught up in my agenda that I could do the same thing to others? All of us have that potential, don't we? Rude, forceful, throw our weight around. Let people know who we are. That's not the mark of love. Well, let me give you one more. Verse 5, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Charity loves unselfishly. As you read this epistle, you're going to discover that the Corinthian believers were anything but unselfish. For example, when we looked at those love feasts, they weren't sharing their food with the poor people in the church. They got their particular friend group together and said, we're going to have us a good meal. And those that weren't as blessed or perhaps in the inner circle as others were. They didn't have as much to eat or as many good things to eat. And Paul reproved them for their lack of 
sharing their food. We read that they took one another to court to settle disputes. They wanted to make their point. They wanted to prove that they were right. They did not want to suffer any loss. Paul said it would be better for you to be defrauded. Suffer the defraudment. Take the loss. Why? For the testimony of Christ. Charity loves unselfishly. They desired to have spiritual gifts, not so that they could minister to people, not so that they could encourage people, but so they could advance their personal agenda with little or no edification or little or no concern for the edification of the body. But charity's not that way. Charity loves unselfishly, seeketh not our own. In other words, we don't love just so that we can return or have something, excuse me, sent back to us in return. You know, if you do much in ministry, you're going to find this out, uh, that you're going to love people who don't love you. Have you ever taught a class of young people or children or maybe you're working on a bus route and you want them to get it and you, you love them and you, you do all that you can to help them and, and they just don't seem to be thankful. By the way, that's not just peculiar to children. Adults do the same thing, right? You see, if we love in order to be loved... We're going to be disappointed. But if we love Christ because he is worthy, then that's the kind of love that we should live. And so we're looking tonight at this thought, the practical characteristics of charity. Charity suffereth long, loves patiently. Charity is kind. It loves kindly envieth not. Charity loves contently. Are you content with what God has given you? Do you want what others have? Charity loves humbly. Doesn't brag, doesn't promote self. Charity is not puffed up, divided among the lines of personality, looking for acknowledgement and credibility. And charity loves courteously, does not behave itself unseemly. It's not rude. It's not crude. It's not forceful. And charity loves unselfishly, seeking not our own. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.